0: it was a crazy deal uh and, and the film didn't capture really just how crazy that was i mean we actually had a tur less than two feet from us
1: uh- welcome to the hunter's hub hunt more podcast this podcast is built to get you hunting more we talk with the greatest hunters around the world known and unknown we tell stories give tips share pins and talk all things hunting we hope you enjoy this podcast What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Hunter's Hub Hunt More podcast today. We have Jason Price of The Experience on. And, guys, you're going to get some laughs out of this. You're going to see or you're going to hear about some amazing stories hunting all around the world, taking his boy hunting. And you're going to hear some do's and don'ts as a camera guy. And I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to the Hunter's Hub Hunt More podcast today. We have Jason Price on. Jason, how's it going?
0: Great, McKenzie. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, no problem, Jason. Jason is an international hunting guru. He's hunted all over the world, multiple different countries, and Asia, Africa, you name it. And uh, Jason has uh, a company called The Experience, and we'll dive into a little bit of that. First off, I kind of want to hear Jason's um, intro into hunting, kind of figure out how he got started into all this. Did you grow grow up hunting Jason, or did you kind of have to
0: find your own way into it? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. Um, In Texas, it's part of uh, growing up to to hunt whitetails. I mean, I can remember when I was nine or 10 years old, really just kind of getting into it with an uncle of mine. And I mean, if I remember right, they let school out on like opening day of deer season or, you know, the opening weekend. I mean, it was restaurants would close down and everyone was gone. So in Texas, whitetails was a big part of it. So And me not knowing anything about the rest of the world, especially, you know, the opportunities I get today. But I had no idea there was anything other than whitetails. So it was really cool getting to have those uh, those initial experiences of hunting. And that definitely lit the fire for future hunts. Right on. And so you've
1: lived in Texas, you know, your whole life and you do concrete work and a bunch of other things down there. Do you still try to do you have like a lease or do you have you still try to get out quite a bit down there? i know you your boy likes to hunt so i feel he does and that's
0: the crazy part about it and it's it's kind of coming back around full circle with him uh for for such a long time uh or at least the last you know nine or ten years i've been consumed with sheep and goats and, and international traveling like i said before but so the whitetail hunting kind of got put on the back burner but just uh maybe three years ago um I took my son on his first whitetail hunt, and it definitely, like, sparked the fire again, and uh, we're going to be looking for something. We have some really good friends that, that we've been on leases with uh, when I was growing up, kind of the same group of, of guys that grew up hunting together, and now those guys have uh, sons or daughters, so we'll probably start doing stuff with them. Right on. he's He looks like he loves to get out. And How old is he? and he is 9 right now uh love is an understatement <laughs> um i mean i i, I and mean, it's just by association as as well i mean when when i was younger i knew everything i thought you could possibly know about whitetails. and and for him it's different just cuz now he knows like the difference of the argales and the markhors and and i mean i didn't even know those things existed um <laughs> like he he just told me the other day he's like i need to go get the grand slam i said like, yeah right it's like that's that's not <laughs> that's not going <laughs> to happen and he goes no what about the one in spain and i'm like man come on it's in time in time just be patient uh, but he loves it he is and it makes it more fun for me and it's it's that next chapter for me as well and i can see it coming and and uh, i can remember you know the guy the older guys that i went hunting with and they would tell me you know we actually like hunting with you more or, you know, you younger guys more because it brings the excitement back for us. And I was like, there's no way that it can be more fun to watch someone hunt. But uh, on those first couple of hunts that I've done with him, they were right. It's it's way more exciting than any hunt that I've done myself.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, How many hunts has he gone on
0: so far where he's pulled the trigger? He's done whitetail. Uh, Obviously, I mean, that's where we had to start. We kind of took a big jump after that and uh, went to New Zealand uh, with Benator Cadrona. Duncan Frazier, he's crazy and he mentioned something around Ethan, and then that was over. So we had to go there. Uh, (laughs) He got to do the Red Stag, uh, Arapawa, which he calls a mini Argali. (laughs) Um, The rest of us called Bob Marley, but he saw like the the Euro mount of it in Duncan's Lodge and he's like, that's a mini Argali. We got to go get one of those. Perfect. and then and then here recently um we did the mule deer down in mexico at san jose which was which was really cool it was it was that was an awesome experience but it was really special for both of us
1: yeah and he shot like i'm trying to, i'm looking at the picture it's kind of like a big three by three frame buck that's
0: what, yeah that's what and got, i mean right? yeah and i mean we really had we had an opportunity to get a really good one the day before it was just a little far right just right before dark and I just it, I I wasn't real confident in the rest he had, and you know, especially with little kids, you want to set them up for success. I mean, you don't want to get them frustrated, you know, too easily. And you, but at the same time, you don't want to make it easy. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was his call, and he's just like, I can't be steady enough to make that shot. So it was good. It was a good learning learning part for him. But um, the video of that's actually coming out this Friday. Uh, it's the okay. fifth part of our five and five series on the experience and uh you you never know how these videos are going to come out but we found this particular mule deer that he ended up shooting and like sawyer and i like can see it it's probably a 100 yards away bedded down and he just cannot find it i mean he's got really good eyes but he cannot find the mule deer and he's getting frustrated and and i'm getting nervous and i could tell he's getting nervous and then finally finally Sawyer just says hey calm down let me show you where it is and it ended up when he found it he's like holy crap so <laughs> he's like, I can't believe I couldn't see that, but it just blends it in so well. But uh, I was shaking so bad that I wasn't sure he was going to be steady on the uh, with the rifle because I mean, uh I was so nervous. But it was awesome. It's he so, made a great yeah. shot. Oh, I was that's so awesome. jacked up. That's cool.
1: Um, and do you guys have anything planned for him this year as long as travel and all that? Yeah, back I mean,
0: up? that's kind of, I mean, the whole. COVID-19 deal this year is, is crummy for a lot of people. And I mean we're looking at f- from a perspective selfishly. I mean, there there are people out there that are sick and and there's people that have lost loved ones to this, this virus. But I mean from a selfish perspective, this is going to be or could potentially be, you know, our best year together. Um, we were gonna go up with uh, one of my best friends, Ryan Burard, up in uh, Canada to hunt Black Bear for Ethan. And then in June and uh then the first of August. Um, we were going to go with Bob Summers for doll sheep. Um, and I can't tell you how excited he is about that hunt. If we don't get to go on that hunt, I'm going to have to like board him somewhere away from home, uh, because we're not going to be able to handle him. Yeah. Um, but I can imagine. Yeah. So those are two really big hunts and two awesome opportunities that we have, um, for him. And, uh, he's really, really excited about it and hopefully we get to do them.
1: Yeah. I hope the the sheep one especially comes through and because I mean there's if if the borders and everything aren't open by then there's some major
0: issues no, and I mean I, I'm definitely <laughs> optimistic about it and I mean even after that I get to go hopefully do the bighorn um, which I absolutely got my ass kicked on the first time um, I mean you know as well as anyone how it is up there in Alberta hunting bighorns and it's uh it's tough to to find legal rams and and the way their restrictions are. I mean, I found some great mature rams, but they weren't full curling, and uh, you're not allowed to shoot those up there. So hopefully, a redo on that one this year if if uh, if we can travel. Uh,
1: when are you doing that one? You can do that like
0: yeah, that's September. September. I'm the first. I'll be the first group this time, as opposed to the second. Um, so uh, you know, hopefully get there a little early. You know, maybe. Do some scouting, try to get on, you know, and, and sit on a sheep um, to, to hedge my bet a little bit and give a better opportunity to get one. I mean, it's, man, it's tough. Um, that particular place is where Dan had shot his ram. Um, it's a couple day horseback ride in. It's really cool hunt. My favorite type of hunt is, is that style of hunt, whether it's horseback or not. I just, I like packing in, I like staying in there, and I like exploring the areas and, and trying to find, uh, find the, the game. Yeah. No, that'd be fun, and hopefully this time you can
1: find the one that's legal and a big one, and be able to take him. Speak, speaking of going in early and find, what isn't there something going on like the stone your stone sheep story?
0: Isn't that a wasn't there a pretty good story towards your stone sheep? Um, yeah, I mean, there's I got kind of lucky on the stone sheep. Um, we were supposed to go in like a completely different direction, but the the funniest part of the stone sheep hunt was I get a call. And probably three weeks before my two or three weeks before my stone sheep hunt from a good friend of mine, Aaron Reese. Yeah, and he's like, the "Story I wanted to tell." Yeah, <laughs> and he was like, "Man, would you shoot a broomed, you know, like a broomed or a heavy broomed?" And he may have even described it to me as like broken ram. And you know, you want to be honest with him about it. And I mean, for me, it just happens that I love any any broomed ram. I love. I mean, I that's kind of the thing for me. I like those broomed rams. So it was a quick, easy answer for me. Absolutely. Sure. He was like, well, you know, my outfitter says that he's been, you know, he's been seeing this one and, and they're sitting on it and they're waiting on me to get there. And, and they said, but it's like broomed or, and, and he's maybe describing it as broken off. And I was like, man, broom rims are awesome. Yeah. I'd be all over it. So we're actually going at the same time. And, and for me, I don't realize geographically, you know, how close we're going to be or how far apart or whatever, but, um, we fly in at the same time pretty much. Um, I get extremely lucky. Um, I went with Shane Black. Uh, Sawyer was my camera guy on that hunt. We were supposed to go a completely different direction, and the guys decided at the last minute, "Hey, let's let's go over here." Uh, they hadn't really seen any sheep over there, but it had been a good area in years past. So like, we're gonna give it a shot. So, from a hunter standpoint, when you're showing up, you're like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> why aren't we going to where you've been scouting them? And you know, we're just kind of wandering off. But I mean, still, you're you're so excited about having the opportunity to hunt them, and and uh, and you, you definitely put a lot of confidence into the guides. So we just go. Um, it's bad weather, like typical every sheep hunt, especially every sheep hunt. In fact, it's every hunt I'm on. It's bad weather. But uh, <laughs> it's not necessarily synonymous with sheep hunting. But we just decided to go out. I think on day two, we decided to go out in the rain. Um, and Man, it, it sounds almost terrible to even say this, but we took the horses probably two or three miles away from camp. We may have walked a total of a mile and a half before we're we're into the sheep, but I mean it's just pure luck and there's a legal ram uh, and it's broomed and it's an awesome ram uh I shoot it, walk my mile you know pack it out my mile and a half back to the horses, and you know I'm in camp six hours you know from when we started it's it was one of the easiest sheep hunts in the world. I get home um you know, and I mean, like we do, we're sharing the photos and bragging and, you know, telling people how great of hunters we are. And,
1: you know, it's only a
0: mile and a half from the horses. But uh I send the picture, you know, out. and I get a phone call. I mean, maybe 10 minutes after. He's like, he, and it's a, a text at the same time. Like a text comes through the photo on the phone calling. It's the same sheep from Aaron Reese. He's like, that's the sheep that the guides, you know, told me about. And he, he was there for 14 days. No sheep and i mean i felt horrible but you know i mean like after we start you know comparing notes and geographically we were literally just one you know one peak of the mountain across from each other so So definitely those sheep had been moving back and forth i'm sure the pressure that we put on them in there hunting them because there was a couple of legal ones actually with with the one that i shot and most likely just dispersed them and i mean that's just that's just terrible luck and uh, I felt so bad for him, but if you know anything about Aaron Reese, he shot a doll sheep that's absolutely incredible. Um, we yeah. call it the doll golly because it curls up like an argali. Um, so uh, feeling sorry for him only lasted, you know, a little bit. Cause... But I do wish he would have gotten one, but it's funny just going back and, and telling, you know, the story. You know, had I told him, oh, no, man, I, would not have sh- I wouldn't shoot one broomed. And then, yeah. And then shoot the one that he was talking about after I told him I wouldn't have done it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah thankfully, he asked me about a broom ram, which that's that's a no no brainer for me. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's crazy how two 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 guys that know each other, you know, uh, what it's I mean? it's nuts. And you, you got to think about how many times that may happen, like unknowingly. Yeah. Uh, so, and maybe probably some of that happened on my bighorn hunt. You know, I just don't know what's happening over the next ridge. Yeah,
1: Yeah. no, exactly. Especially those high-pressure hunts
0: like that where, you know, locals are are out there, and, you know, rightfully so. But um, you just don't know.
1: Did you guys see a lot of locals on your hunt?
0: Uh, Besides the ones that came across the pass with the ram they'd been watching three days before I got there, those are the only
1: ones. (laughs) Those are the only ones? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those guys
0: (laughs) on the ram on the back of the horse? Yeah, those those were the ones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The, one, the ones that the only ones that actually counted yeah and i mean same thing i mean you you saw the film with dan on his uh his stone sheet yeah. i mean that was crazy yeah, i nuts. mean they're basically hunting the same bowl with with uh with locals or other hunters it's crazy yeah how many was there three guys in the local group at least four? three there there may have yeah. been four um and the cool thing is and you know dan i mean he gets super emotional that was the slam ram so i mean the emotional uh, index was even higher. I mean, he was he was maxed out on that one. But uh, those guys, you know, a couple of those guys knew Dan, and it ended up being a really cool experience for, for Dan to have those guys around. And and definitely there was a little bit of uh, worry and animosity and anxiety, you know, trying to make sure what, what really happened and, and what those locals were doing. But uh, it turned out to be a really good deal.
1: Yeah, no, that was cool. But yeah, I couldn't even, I, yeah, I, when I hunted stone sheep, we saw like four different groups, but luckily we weren't ever really close to any, but I can only imagine Yeah, what was going through Dan's mind. Oh, uh,
0: <laughs> And I mean, it's crazy, you know, there's, there's so much area and I guess maybe not so, not so uh, surprising in places like, you know, Alberta and BC, um, it that typically doesn't happen in Alaska. Um, yeah. You know, in Alaska, you're more concerned about the airplanes flying over. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, crazy. I mean, it's all that land, all that area, and then you just happen to run into the guys, you know, at the same time. So, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty nuts, actually. Yeah, and the Aaron Reese story is even crazier. So,
1: oh yeah, the like fact said, that it's, that it's, I shoot it's, his it's, ram it's, just
0: you know on the next ridge over,
1: <laughs> especially after he
0: texted you about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He probably thinks that like. I sent that photo to the guy that said, go find this ram. It's going to be close to where he's hunting.
1: (laughs) Oh, but like you said, Aaron shot that giant
0: dog. Oh, he did. And I mean, Aaron's, Aaron's, you know, done a ton of hunting as well. And I mean, that's the nature of sheep hunting, especially, you know, if you're going to be somewhat picky about it. And I mean, I've tried not to be too picky um, I obviously want to shoot the biggest, most mature ram I can find, but I mean my my doll sheep in, in Alaska, man, that thing was a squeaker, barely legal. Um and you know, it's it's tough. And so, you know, Aaron going there and, and coming away without a ram is it's definitely gonna make him just appreciate it more when he gets one. Uh and ho- you know, I assume just like it will for me when I get the big horn. Yeah. As if long I get as the nice. big horn.
1: Yeah. No, you you'll get one just yeah. in a matter of yeah, time, I just, just a matter of time, worse.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> having enough money, having the time, uh, yeah. the guys at Scalp Creek, Rob, he's phenomenal, Uh, what he's done for me to come back, it's been unbelievable, so um, definitely going to take advantage of it.
1: No, that'd be sweet, can't wait to see how that works out for you, but bouncing back to kind of, we kind of got a little sidetracked there, but anyways, bouncing back to like how you got started, what got you into like the international hunting?
0: uh it's gonna be crazy elk hunting got me into it really yeah because you know growing up whitetail hunting you're in this little bubble you think that's all there is is whitetail um so my first like my first experience outside of whitetail hunting was elk and just the interaction you know I, I was lucky enough to draw a tag in the Gila um and it was archery tag uh, unit 16a there, right outside reserve went with, I mean, a lifelong friend now, Chris Geicema, uh with Compass West Outfitters, and just the interaction with the elk, I mean, it was during the rut, um, you know, you're able to call in these bulls, and, and in our case, a couple of times within, you know, four or five yards, uh, you know, you're like, oh my, you know, that's so awesome, the elk coming in, and you would think a normal person was just like, I got an elk hunt every year, well, in my mind, I was like, well, if this is so awesome, what else is out there? So at that point, you know, I just it just took off. I wanted to I wanted to try to find, you know, those different experiences that I had no idea about, just like just like the first time I elk hunted. Huh, that's pretty neat that an elk hunt is what got you <laughs> I'm not, got it's the spinning. It's not and I mean I love elk hunting. I, I mean I I've done elk with archery with bow and archery uh rifle and loader. Um and it's such a cool experience. It's it's still, in my opinion, the best North American hunt. Um, you can do it with buddies. Um, you can interact with the elk. Um, it's physical. Um, I, you know, I, from a North American hunt standpoint, it's, it's hard to beat elk hunting. But it definitely yeah. lit the fire to me because, you know, I'm like, I had no idea this, you know, I had no idea it was this awesome and you know what else <laughs> out there is just as cool and and there's a lot of cool stuff out there
1: yeah in all reality that became one one hell of an expensive elk hunt because of yeah. the wheel yeah <laughs>
0: yes yes it did for sure oh, yeah. that's cool so
1: what was your first international hunt
0: africa isn't everyone's
1: yeah so... I'd say most of them <laughs> yeah you and... can canada for bear but yeah well, so, in I think most people is Africa
0: when I came back from Africa you know like everyone else I was a professional at that point uh, I was an expert um, <laughs> I was uh, I was immediately a better hunter uh, yeah that's it's the same effect on me like has on everyone in Africa I mean people say yeah. you know in Africa it's not your first trip it's just how many you're gonna how many times you're gonna end up going back um, yeah I definitely did Africa different than most um I just, and, and still to this day, I've not hunted plains game outside of shooting bait for dangerous game. Um, I just, I just never have. Um, I want to do a mountain kudu hunt like, uh, like we would hunt sheep here in North America. Um, mm-hmm. But I man plains game just never really was a big interest to me. And I mean, that's outside of like Lord Derby and Bongo and Mountain Niala yeah. or you know, something like that. But I mean, I just that's, never, that's I mean, and, and kudu are awesome. And Ethan was asking me the other day, he's like, what's the one animal people go to Africa for? And You know, the first thing I thought of, and I told him was, you know, probably kudu, um, yeah. you know, and I've done the kudu and and uh, the gimsbuck and, and clip Springer and Stainbuck and Impala. And, you know, I've done a bunch of those, but they are zebra. They, but they've all been really for bait for leopard hunting. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's really the thing that's one thing that would get me back to Africa right away is if someone called up and said, Hey, we have a leopard.
1: Yeah. And so, um, you, you talked about like the real special planes game, such as Lord Derby Bongo. Yeah. Mountain Yala. Um, now Ethan wise, is he kind of pulling your arm saying we need to go and get over there and do some stuff or
0: what's he, what's going on there? Yeah. I, I mean, he wants to hunt, and he's got he's got a weird list. Like I said, I kind of went at it a weird angle because really I've been to Africa for you know three leopards, lion, uh, a couple Cape buffaloes, elephant. Um, you know I went after the dangerous game, um, mm-hmm. similar to how I've approached the mountain hunts. You know I don't really want to hunt them in the flats. I want to hunt them you know where I damn near kill myself. But yeah. um, <laughs> for some reason, Ethan like when he thinks of Africa, he thinks hyena so he he oh, wants yeah. to he wants to hunt hyena uh i've been talking to a good friend of mine over in zimbabwe uh there's there's a lot of hyena over there so yeah I, but i think it'll be a cool opportunity for him just to go over there and see the culture see see how how those people live um and and have the opportunity to hunt multiple species of game on one trip is is definitely advantageous on on any trip i mean whether you're talking about taking your kid or going yourself i mean um a lot of times for those plains game hunts, i was listening to your podcast the tj and i mean he bought a lot of his through auctions and and, and that's a great way to get them but you know here in north america we go on a mule deer hunt or white tail hunt or an elk hunt and you know we're lucky if we get to pull the trigger once um you go over some of those really good cool places i mean i'm kind of picky about how to hunt south africa i, I like the northern part much more than the southern part uh i really love zimbabwe uh botswana back in you know the days where which it's coming back around where you can hunt elephants again. Um, Tanzania is probably the Holy grail to, to Africa. And uh, you've been there a couple of times, I think. Um, but I just, I would like to go to where he could have that diversity of animals to where it's, you know, he can actually engage in different hunting uh, tactics, stalking, hunt, seeing how those guys track those animals. Uh, I mean, you know, that's, I think anyone that goes to Africa the first time, the most, phenomenal thing you think about when you take away you take away from the whole hunt is and those guys can track those animals it's unbelievable yeah
1: 100 percent, 100 percent. it's nuts like i was talking with um jordan Hassler on the podcast our very first episode we we're talking about how they can look at like the ground and me and you look at it we're like there's nothing there and then yeah. they're like oh yeah a cootie walked through here
0: this morning it's like yeah. what are you looking at there's nothing there it's nuts. I mean, like for us, I mean, like whitetail hunting. I mean, there's whitetail tracks. We don't have any Loch Ness monsters or, you know, anything else. We're having to decipher between a whitetail track and a and a leprechaun, or something. But you know, yeah. there, there's there's so many different species of animals, and and the recognition of of which animal you're after, whether or not it's a good animal. I mean, it's really it'd be a cool experience for for a kid. It's a cool experience for anyone.
1: Uh, 100% I agree with you there and then so when you know you you said you've done a lot of the dangerous game in Africa and then you what what got you started on like the the mounting honey like when did that all come in the mountain side of it yeah um
0: you know I I guess it's probably just to and and hunting is a progression I think I, I think it's a progression for everyone I mean with the exception of how I really approached Africa um I think normal people would go to Africa and do Plains game a couple of times. And then they decide, hey, I'm going to go do, you know, Cape Buffalo or, or leopard. I think it's a progression. Like here in the States, for me, I started out with elk and I mean, really squirrels or rabbits. And then you get to whitetail and then, and then elk and then, you know, um, sheep, um, goats. I think it's just a progression. And for me, it was just a natural progression from that elk hunt. It's, it's what's next. Um, I liked, so on the, that, that that hunt that particular physical and um, I love the physicality of of the hunt I love having to work so hard to, to get the the elk and um, so I just started looking for hunts that that were in the mountains and um, the capras were kind of that that species that I thought number one it, they're they're much more affordable than the ovises and um, they're super challenging they're awesome and and that first one that I went on, I mean, North America mountain goat is you know an awesome hunt. That's uh, one I did with Ron Burrard, Uh Really physical, uh, very rewarding. Um, I, I love hunting mountain goats. Uh, and then from there, from the internationals part of it, I went did the Bizzor Apex in Turkey, and um, that's that's one of the coolest hunts on earth. What what time of the year did you go to Turkey? uh when's the worst time y- yeah does that when you did you go in march pretty pretty much yeah yeah i went in march uh <laughs> i made that hunt a little more difficult than it should have been um, we started out uh, dallas went on that hunt with me uh, that was actually dallas's first international hunt altogether. Uh and we stayed in this little shack on the mountain and the weather got so bad that they didn't really have to translate it for us. It was like, we must go down or we die. <laughs> so we're like, okay, no problem. So uh, we end up getting on the IVEX on like the third or fourth day. The guy called out the shot, and I think he called it out in yards, but he had been talk to, talking to me about meters like all day so i just assumed he said meters shot right over the top of you know a great ibex uh which didn't help our cause any and then uh ended up having to hike nine or ten miles up up into the mountains to to finally get one and it was a a long difficult lucky shot but uh yeah i was lucky enough to get it it's one of the first films that we have on uh on the experience well maybe film number or five in the top couple there
1: but yeah yeah march is a a rough time to go hunt ibex and turkey yeah
0: yeah and i mean i think you had to go twice right yeah because the first time we went in march (laughs) yeah tj's tj same way i think tj actually went the fall and then march yeah he went opposite Uh, of what we did and was able to yeah get it yeah and i mean i was i was really lucky um i could have I could have messed that up even worse. Uh, I feel like had I not, because that was my second to last day when I finally got it. Uh, had I not made that shot, um, like you, I probably would have come around empty, come away with empty handed that first time, and and had to have done it again. The pictures, because I was scrolling through here on the guys' social media stuff,
1: the pictures of that hunt that with the snow and everything, it just makes that you know just it's like yeah, almost crazy. Go ahead, sorry, it's like almost a perfect it's- picture.
0: Yeah, it's super crazy too, because I think in the photo we're in short sleeves, right? Yeah, in the vet. Yeah, in the and, yeah in the snow. Yeah, and uh, it was it was cold, but I mean we, again a product of you know not shooting great that first time, and we had to hike a long way, so, uh, but it, it did make it a cool experience, uh, and you know I had to work for it, which made it even better, but definitely that. The whole experience in Turkey is, is really cool. And Italia is one of the coolest cities I've ever been. I think they have a big PGA golf tour event there every year. I mean, really clean, um, very – I mean, it's a beautiful place. And then, you know, Istanbul historically is, is, is really cool.
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You know, like what me and TJ are talking about is the only bad part about it is like when you think of like how they've been kind of put, you know, portrayed towards, you know – the u.s and you know western people it's almost a bad picture that was painted for them yeah you know especially like and, with, i mean you've done a ton of traveling
0: stuff. you've done a ton of traveling as well i mean i have never been to any of those countries where i felt like i wasn't wanted and i wasn't welcomed um I, i've never had an experience that 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 the people that you know wherever we travel didn't roll out the red carpet for us i mean and they were everywhere they've always been really nice yeah i agree there
1: i think uh you know like i've had even sketchier times like in vegas or you know even like in salt lake certain areas that you're like yeah i don't feel you know i almost feel more safer in you know pakistan than i do in some of these other places
0: yeah i mean you go over there with that uh the natural hesitation just because it's embedded in everything that you've known growing up or or see on the news and I mean it couldn't have been more contrasting than than what I originally thought it would be, yeah, one hundred percent um so you've like we were just getting on the subject of international travel.
1: How many different uh countries have you been to?
0: <laughs> I don't know, I have no idea <laughs> I was listening to I was listening to you, listening to you and TJ yesterday, you guys were rattling off like how many countries you've been to, and you know i mean I don't know uh I need to probably think about it. It's, uh, it's been a lot and it's been a lot relatively fast. Yeah. Like in the last five, six years. Yeah. I mean, those probably, you know, three or four different places a year, um, for, for definitely the last five or six years. And really I started in Africa in 2007 or eight maybe. And I mean, I've gone to Africa six times since. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. it's a, and, and really that all kind of coincided with, with how, um, the experience began.
1: Yeah. Can we, uh, let's talk about that. Let's, let's tell us how you guys created the experience and kind of what, why, and kind of give us the background story of that.
0: Well, when, like when I was whitetail hunting with a group of my friends, I mean, Casey and Roy and Lance and you know just childhood friends we got into this deal where we were videoing all our whitetail hunts and at some point i still have these videos at some point i need to bring them out and like vault films on the experience because it's hilarious i mean we were so stupid and like had no clue but <laughs> um we, we we started this deal called brown down productions And it was it, I mean, it was horrible but uh That kind of started the fire of, you know, videoing hunts. And, um, you know, I got to the point where I caught myself videoing more than actually hunting. And um, I just, I I just like that part of it. And I mean, I'm definitely not a videographer. I don't know anything about cameras. Um, But, you know, that was one of the TV scene where, you know, hunting was really popular on television. And I can remember I called the outdoor channel and I was like, Hey, you know, we're thinking about doing a television show. You know, what does it take? What do we got to do? The guy laughed at me. He was just like, you know, first of all, you got to pay for all these hunts and, you know, then you got to film them and, you know, it's X amount of dollars. It was just an astronomical number, but I mean, he literally was laughing at me and um, so it just kind of progressed from there. Um, I'm not one that likes to hear the word no. And it almost challenged me. So I knew I wanted to do something, but you know, how, how it came about and how it evolved, a lot of it was luck. Um, I knew I didn't want to do anything in the whitetail industry just because it was so saturated. Um, and there's a lot of people hunting whitetails. Uh, the North American stuff was, you know, at this point, and now we're talking like four years ago was getting more saturated as far as especially with YouTube and, and digital uh, content. So I just kind of went at it like I do everything else backwards. Um, And I thought, you know, I'm going to go after, you know, the aspirational side of things from, you know, the things that I'm super passionate about and that I love, and uh, you know, mixing those other things. And uh, I'd started kind of doing it on my own at the beginning, Um, just me. And and again, like everything, a natural progression. I just I looked at the TV model, and I tried to figure out, okay, what's good about it and what's not good about it. Um, I didn't like. Uh, on the TV model, I thought that the individualism was bad. I thought that if the show was about an individual person, you either watched it because you liked that person or or you liked the animal he was hunting. But I thought the negatives to it were, you know, you're going to get tired of watching the same guy do all these hunts. You're going to get jealous about watching the same guy do all this hunt. And you're not going to really learn anything from, you know, just one individual as, opposed, as, as much as you could from a group of people. So I knew that I had to take the individual aspect out of it from the very beginning. And, and then a lot of things happened with luck, you know, my relationship with Dan and, and his different circles. Um, Dallas was one of our first videographers that we had hired uh, and, and he was good and passionate and, you know, excited about it. And then, you know, since then we've had all these other awesome camera guys. Um, The editing side of things was a big part of it. You know, I didn't want it to be like a television edit because I thought that a lot of people would get lost within the longer version of television shows on on, on social media or digital content. So, um, you know, I knew that the content was going to dictate the duration of the films and, uh, and just a ton of luck. Really, that's right place, right time. I wish I would have done it like a year sooner, but um, it's worked out really well. Yeah, you guys have done a real
1: good job, and it's blown up over the past, you know, several years that you guys started this, and you guys have videos that are in the views of the millions and crazy stuff
0: like that. Yeah, it's and again, if I knew, like, if I knew beforehand which films were going to pop and which weren't, then I tell people all the time I'd be given, like, how to build YouTube page seminars instead of trying to develop a hunting page.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, it's like you just said, you wish you had started a year sooner. But you, uh, yeah, isn't I, that what everyone says, though? Like, isn't they that they are. On? But
0: but I mean, I could say the exact same thing. Had I drug my feet and started a year later, man, I don't think it would be. I I, I I know it wouldn't have been as successful. It was just all that right timing. It was right timing. But I mean, I do think I was on the back end of that right timing. Uh, you know, had I been a year earlier and I mean, there was some hesitation there because we really didn't know if we were going to do television or YouTube or, or what. In fact, a good friend of mine, Mark, ours, Mark Peterson, um, he, he was part of a project be a live project. So we were really, and a lot of people don't know this, but we were really holding out for our content to be on that platform. And, uh, I I mean, you're well aware of how all that worked out and it just, that platform development kind of slowed down. Um, and i got tired of waiting so i put it on youtube yeah and i mean i just I, again luck well that's the thing like now youtube like i had like
1: unless it's you know i really actually i can't even say i watch any like actual hunting shows on tv anymore it's it's weird because like amazon prime and youtube like yeah. you can go on there and you know, especially, you
0: can just go on there and click, go to like. My your, question is, why, why would you watch it on television? I don't why know. Why are you going to wait for a time for it to come on number one or, you know, or record it? Yeah. And, and watching it on your own times, fast forward the commercials and, and, and you're, you you do not have no, you have zero influence over what the hunting show is going to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, sure you could go through there and randomly get a few, but I mean, how hard is it to type in on YouTube? You know, moose hunt, yeah. elk hunt, Ibex hunt. Yeah, you know it's super easy, and and they're all there. I, I definitely think that that that's the way it's going. I think it, the writing's been on the wall for a long time, and uh, and I just wonder what's next because I, I know there's something coming next. Oh yeah,
1: there's always gonna be something. I mean, yeah, which is funny because like you, if you look at it, the honey industry is actually like years, like a long ways behind the curve on everything else. You know what I mean? Just yep, because. I've seen a picture and no, it was a post on Instagram yesterday. It was about the very first YouTube video. One of the guys that created YouTube put it on there and it was him at the zoo. It was just mm-hmm. like it has like ninety five million views or something. <laughs> it's like it's like, are you are you kidding me? Like it's just how it's crazy how things evolve and you know, the hunting industry is it's pretty slow in keeping up with it, but I think every from now on everything is getting a little quicker and everyone's graphing, What's new, a little better
0: yeah, for, I, I took, think so
1: one time it took everyone a long time to accept the fact that outdoor television has been going downhill, you know what I mean, and, yeah,
0: and the demographic in hunting is i mean honestly man, it's kind of an older demographic, so yeah, you know, for that demographic to transition to digital is probably a little bit of the lag time um, the cool thing about digital content and, and the surge over over the last, you know, five, six years, we'll say. Um, I think it's definitely helped um change that demographic and bring in a lot of those, you know, twenty five to forty fives. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely been advantageous to the hunting community. Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent.
1: And I mean it's just you know, like your guys' show in platform on YouTube, it's it shines a good light on the hunting world. The problem is is there's uh, several other ones out there that don't. And that's, I think, if we could figure out how to, you know, portray to get rid of some of those, I think the hunting industry would actually grow and there'd be less people like anti hunters or maybe a lot of people in that gray area that still accept it yeah. but won't hate on it, you know? Because you guys do a great job of putting everything together. Right. It's not like you're just all driving right. around and jumping out of the truck and whacking it, you know what I mean? It's, right. And you make it look neat and I don't know. You guys just present it yeah. in a totally different way than a lot of other people do.
0: We try to capture the experience of, of the hunt. The problem with that is, and I mean, I, I learned this probably six months into the, the whole experience thing, is that's unattainable. Yeah. There is no way that we're ever going to fully capture the experience of any hunt on camera. It just, it's just not going to happen. There's too, many, um, there's too many things that happen away from the hunt. There's too many things that happen after the hunt that, that are just as important and, and in some cases more important. I mean, the lifelong friendships that you, you get from, from hunts. Um, that's a huge part of the experience of that hunt. It's really difficult to, to capture that on camera. Um, you and TJ talked about it before the travel, man. I hate the travel. <laughs> I, I, I know you guys know how much I hate the travel. Um, it, I, there was a time I loved it. Um, and I, I know a lot of hunters they will ask, you know, what kind of trophy quality, you know, how much games in the area, you know, all that stuff, man. My first question is how long's the car ride? <laughs> yep and, and it's uh that's that's the that's the hardest part of it yeah me. no
1: it's I, I i agree with you. the travels especially like on those asia hunts yeah. because like me and tj talked their five-hour drive turns into like a 12-hour
0: drive you know what i mean well you have to double it so whatever they tell you you double so it's just that's the rule of thumb i mean you know uh tips and tactic part of you know hunter's hub uh, podcast today is is if an asian outfitter tells you it's a 6 hour drive it's a 12 hour drive. Yeah. So that's that's your tip of the day. And the roads going to be complete <laughs> shit. The roads going to suck. Uh yeah, it's going to be scary. Uh, I think TJ says he gets the white knuckles the whole time. Uh you guys know that I do not. Yeah, you just uh, Yeah, I am asleep. Uh, so <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap this up, I got so
1: usually I do like because um, with you, Jason, you have a lot of different hunts that we can bust into and we could spend seven to twelve hours on the phone just talking. <laughs> and we need to save some of that for a different podcast. What I usually do is I ask two questions, but with you I'm gonna ask three questions.
0: Oh, see I did some research and then you're you're switching it up on me. Yeah. So <laughs> so the first, so this is the the bonus question for you. Is okay. I wanna
1: so 'cause we're gonna have to get sorted on the podcast. So I wanna hear what the most craziest thing that ha- Sawyer's done or has happened to Sawyer because it seems like every trip you guys go on, Sawyer has a black cloud over his head
0: is is crazy to find as stupid yeah or is crazy to <laughs> find as you know he shouldn't have done that uh, which I guess both could fall into the same category. oh man, there's so many. And I'm I'm not trying to be funny about it, but there's literally it literally happens daily on every single hunt. Uh, there hasn't been one yet that he's that he's walked away from without doing something, you know, or multiple times dumb. Uh, the Azrajan is really funny. It's it's one of the funniest stories. Uh, I went back and watched that film the other day, which I never do. And by the end of the film, like I was crying from laughing so hard still. <laughs> Um, uh, that, that one, you know, where he forgot to bring his sleeping bag in Azerbaijan, it was funny, uh, eating the raw chicken in Pakistan. I mean, you know, after he takes his first bite and he's like, I don't think my chicken's cooked. And then like 30 seconds later, I looked over there and his whole sandwich is gone. <laughs> uh, you know, that was, that was a bad one. <laughs> he, Ugh. he does some really dumb stuff. Um, uh, and, and Kyrgyzstan was, was <laughs> crazy cause we didn't have any food and he's like, hoarding snicker bars um, let's go let's go with the azerbaijan just because you know it's relatable to a lot of people a lot of people would make this mistake especially a lot of guys that haven't done you know a lot of backpack style hunts uh and, and sawyer you know he's there he, he lives there in utah so he grew up doing a lot of mule deer hunting um you know a lot of day hunt type stuff so we won't paint him too negatively but um Azerbaijan like anyone in the international you know scene that does those kind of hunts know that the you know the tur hunts are are difficult i mean they're steep um they're similar to our mountain goat hunts probably a little steeper um but we're taking off on you know i think it's day two climbing up and it's i mean it's a rough climb and i have my sleeping bag but not my tent and you know they told us beforehand hey we're going up and we're going to stay because it's you know it's a it's a tough hike so you know I don't think i have and again this is kind of in the beginning and I've had to be more of like a dad figure to Sawyer and make sure you know he's got all his stuff packed but you know at that point I, I didn't feel like it was necessary that I check Sawyer's backpack to make sure he was properly equipped um, <laughs> so we get to the top things change up there real fast we end up shooting a tur it was it was a crazy deal uh, and, and the film didn't capture really just how crazy that was. I mean, we actually had a tur less than two feet from us, uh, and you know it's like I'm about to bite the back of Sawyer's head. Um, ironically, it picks Sawyer out of everybody. But um, so we get the tur, uh, we're packing it out, but there's no way we can make it back to camp, so we have to sleep on the on that side of the mountain before we get back. And Sawyer doesn't bring a sleeping bag. Uh-oh. And, you know, the weather's kind of nice, but what I've noticed in Azerbaijan at this point, you know, it's our third night there. It rains every night. Um, or, you know, it sprinkles or, and it gets it gets cooler. And so he's like, oh, no, I'm fine. He goes, you know, I've got my puffy jacket, and my rain gear. So, you know, I'm fine. And, you know, the local guys, they've got a tarp. They've spread it out. You know, here I am with my sleeping bag. I think I had the Kuyu bag. Um, and sorry has got nothing. I wake up at two o'clock in the morning. It's it's kind of a light mist, rain, and Sawyer is like in the like sitting down, like shivering, like he is he is freezing, he's soaking wet, and uh, I was like, man, I was like, you're such an idiot. You should have brought your sleeping bag. So, I unzip my sleeping bag and we sleep in my sleeping bag together. <laughs> Okay, we're woken up by the guide videoing us in the sleeping bag, and it's like the movie Dumb and Dumber. We were so warm we didn't even care. So uh, <laughs> it was, it was definitely funny. <laughs> it was miserable, but <laughs> uh, but that's just one of those um, saw the Sawyer effect on any hunt is be prepared for the unexpected because he the kid's gonna do something that's like hilariously stupid
1: (laughs) oh Oh, man yeah i'm gonna have to give him some shit on the yeah and i mean you
0: definitely got to get on to him about the pakistan hunt that was uh that was that that was probably his best
1: yeah i want to get like why going not have to just do a, a full podcast of um sawyer and yeah. his Pakistan we're just gonna have to get him on try to maybe try to get like a group conversation together I have to wait till one of the hunting shows when we're all together but yeah title uh, it the trials simulations so- <laughs> of the Sawyer effect <laughs> yeah yeah because uh he's definitely he's definitely gonna throw you for a loop at some point oh that's awesome all right so now we'll go to my normal questions so the first of the normal questions I do at the end of the podcast is I ask you for an all-time favorite hunting story. I mean, like, you, like many others, have gone all over the place, and it's hard to pick which one, per se, is your favorite. But, like, if someone came to you and asked you, and what stuck out the most to you? Was it a hunt with you and Ethan or something? Like, what kind of hunt sticks out to you the most that you've done?
0: Um, I mean, I told you I researched these, and I, I, that's a really difficult question people – people obviously ask all the time that, that question, what, what's your favorite, yeah. you know, I, I've got a crazy answer. Uh, my favorite hunt is the next one. Um, yeah. that that's, that's kind of the crazy, crazy answer. Uh, breaking it down a little bit more. I mean, if you just take just pure species, I mean, um, man, it's hard to beat any kind of sheep hunting. I said before, I love the backpack style hacking and type hunts. Um, The bighorn hunt was one of my favorites, although I didn't get one. Uh, Let's go domestic. My favorite hunt would be
1: (sighs) elk. Elk? Yeah. What? Now, can you. In North America. In the elk of North America? What? So, was that that one that. that, that, Are you talking about the hunt that kind of kicked off your.
0: Yeah, and I mean, uh, I just, just because it was so, um, it it was, it was, it's so much a part of who I am today. Gotcha. You know, and I, it, it, it was tough. It was fun. I mean, I gained a lifelong friend with Chris Geicema out of that. Uh, but more than anything, that, that sparked everything for me. So I would have to say, you know, North America, that was my favorite. That was your favorite one? Yeah. And was that an archery
1: hunt, did you say? Yep.
0: Yeah, Is, the Gila. and the and you got a bull on that trip? Uh, I did not. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I had some great opportunities. Uh, but it definitely sparked it, it sparked the interest not only elk hunting but h- hunting around the world. So yeah. I'd, I'd say that has to be my favorite. I mean, obviously the ones with Ethan are are you know rank way up there, but just that that hunt um, at that time. And, and what it, the meaning it's had in my life and, and in my hunting career. Yeah.
1: I mean, cause without that, you wouldn't be going to That's right. go with Ethan, or you wouldn't right. plan a, a sheep hunt with Ethan this fall. That's so right. a, yep. That is awesome. All right. Well, we'll, we'll end this up with the final question. What it would be your all time bucket list hunt. Like what is the, <laughs> you've done Marco Polo, you've done all sorts of ones. What is the next hunt that you're, like laser focused on someday trying to make happen
0: okay so this is never gonna happen <laughs> but uh, well, I say it's never gonna happen I mean look at what's happened to today uh, you know up to this point I mean you asked me 10 years ago with any of this stuff happened I would have told you this is crazy um, so they there is a chance um, but it's very very small and, and I think that question itself your mind's gonna jump to the one things that that's unattainable in your mind uh for yeah. me the physical aspect of the hunts is not necessarily unattainable it's the financial aspect of the hunts that's unattainable so your bucket list always seems to for me would always revolve around the cost of that hunt um i, I mean i think if i'd ask you this question i asked tj this question um you know i ask any of the guys kind of in our circle that do the international hunts this question I'd have to say 99 times out of 100 they would say high altar golly. and uh, that's that definitely would be mine.
1: And what kind of get, break down why that would be just for people that don't understand
0: like the true. So the cool thing about of a, of a the, high altar golly. Yeah, the cool thing there's there's a lot of cool stuff about sheep hunting, but I mean just sheep horns. Sheep sheep horns are cool. They're just cool. I mean stone sheep, uh, doll sheep, uh, bighorn sheep, desert sheep. You know, fanning. California, uh, Marco Polo—they're—they're they're all cool, but the high Altar argali are the largest huntable sheep in the world for us, and just the mass and the length of those horns—it's—it's uh, it's unbelievable. Like a big—they're—they're just—they're just huge. I mean, you cannot wrap your hands around like halfway through the horn. You can't wrap your hands around them. They're—they're um, they're unbelievable, and they're super unattainable financially um you know i don't think it's all that difficult of a hunt it'd be no different you know than than our regular sheep hunt um so you know the aspirational side of things or you know the bucket list side of things for me 10 years ago was just going on hunts that are physical and hard and but you know today it's you ask that question and it's something that's unattainable is obviously the financial aspect of that so yeah, if, you know your listeners that don't know about it, definitely look them up. There's <laughs> there's some big rams that that have been taken, and uh, they're really really cool. Yeah, they
1: are the like the pinnacle. Oh, like yeah. a Marco Polo. Like the, the reason I like people think Marco Polo and like are pinnacle wise because they are because like nine times out of ten, if you talk show someone a picture of Marco Polo, they're gonna know what it is because it's kind of like a an It's an standard. iconic sheep. Yeah, it's been broadcasted. Yeah, and the high-altar galley hasn't really been as broadcasted as the Marco. Yeah, because there's just it.
0: not as many of them that are being hunted. Um, yep. you know the the Marco Polo, the Argali there in Tajikistan. It, that's really a cool conservation story in itself, which that could be a whole other podcast. But I mean, just the fact of of what hunting uh, or conservation through hunting's done for the Marco Polo is phenomenal and on, on on my particular trip there and i, I know you guys did you had you got sick on yours um but i saw 1500 sheep a day and, yeah. and that's that's phenomenal
1: yep no that's and like you said that's one that's been broadcasted out to yeah. everyone and kind of but it also goes back to that part where it's um, it's a bucket list time for a lot of people, but it's more affordable. Like it's a, a, an easier attainable goal is to
0: go home right. Marco Polo, and seat. it's still expensive. I mean, you asked me that five years ago. You know, you probably asked me the same question five years ago, and I I answer Marco Polo. Yeah, and and I tell okay. you the exact same thing I'm telling you right now about how Tai. is, you know, just unattainable. It's too expensive because I mean they are expensive. Oh yeah, they are. But if you compare it to high
1: uh, Tai, it's a fraction pen,
0: pen, pen, <laughs> pennies to <of> dollars yes <laughs>
1: yeah 100 percent. well jason i appreciate you hopping on the podcast today and like i said we'll definitely need to get several more out of you and talk some more hunting um hopefully we'll be able to do one after you and Ethan go and do a doll sheep hunt and uh i really appreciate you hopping on today man thank you
0: for having us and really thank you for supporting the experience and uh, the hunters hub you you got going is really cool well i appreciate it jason thank you very right. much man you have a great day you too take care
1: Hey, guys, I hope you liked this podcast with Jason Price. Please, guys, head on to YouTube and on social media and follow the experience. Subscribe and hit that little bell on their YouTube channel. They're going to be coming out with some awesome content throughout the rest of the year and years to follow. And also, go give Jason Price a follow on Instagram as well. Um, guys, if you like this uh, podcast, please like, share, download, leave a review, whatever you guys can do possible. It will help us out a bunch. And please message us with your input on who you want to hear and what you want to hear about on Instagram. Have a great one.